We'll now have our Bible readings. If you want to follow them at home, the, the first Bible reading is Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 7. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, Into what then were you baptized? They answered, into John's baptism. Paul said, John's baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about 12 of them. And our second reading is taken from the beginning of Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, starting at verse 4. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning everyone and a happy new year to you. Would you join me in a short prayer before I begin? Lord, may I act as your true herald, announcing only what you have ordained in your word, which I pray will fulfil its purpose in the lives of all those who hear it. Amen. Well, as we begin this new year, our theme, A Fresh Start, prompts us to consider the future and our readings on the subject of baptism are an appropriate guide. Mark's Gospel opens with the baptism of Jesus and explains how, in accordance with the words of the prophet Isaiah, 
John the Baptist came to prepare the way of the Lord and to make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert and preaching, and the Greek sense of that word is heralding, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Three important words there for us to look at. The first, repentance, one of the major topics of the New Testament. The Greek word metanoia, a change of mind, literally to see afterward, in hindsight, to look back and thus regret or repent as a result. But the spiritual use of the term not only looks back to the regretted act or omission, but also forward to the anticipated pardon. Our next word, forgiveness, aphasis in the Greek. It's ascending away. The sins are literally taken off the shoulders of the sinner and disposed of as far as the east is from the west. God forgets them and keeps no record. They're gone. Sins, our third word. It's a missing of the mark, best illustrated by archery, the bullseye being the standard required by a holy God under his divine law, so that even a narrow miss, one centimetre, means that you've missed, therefore you've broken the law, and therefore you deserve punishment. And since we can never, in practice, hit that target, keep that perfect standard all the time, we all sin. And the only way to avoid the penalty, and of course the ultimate penalty is death, is to seek God's forgiveness. Now the word sin these days is not very popular, is it, in society? And I think it's often dismissed Um, by people who say, well, you know, sin, that's just those Christians banging on. We're not sinners. You know, we're good people. We give to charity. We clap for the NHS. They dismiss it as if it's not important. And I think there's a parallel to be drawn with the attitude to COVID in the early days, a year ago, when, if you remember with the reports of the few deaths that were uh, happening at the time, they were always accompanied by, oh, uh, there was an underlying health condition, inducing in us a, a feeling that, well, it wasn't really going to affect us. It wasn't that serious. But, of course, that's proven, sadly, to be wrong. COVID is deadly, And so is sin. And in a way, although COVID, sadly and tragically, of course, can lead to death, death of the body, sin is in a way even more serious 
in that it can lead to a permanent, if unrepented, a permanent separation from God, an eternal separation from him, which is one definition of hell. So it's really serious, and I pray that, that people will take sin more seriously and realise that they cannot dismiss it. I think in John the Baptist's time, there was a more serious attitude towards sin, which is perhaps why John the Baptist's message was very appealing and why we're told in verse 5, the whole of the Judean countryside and all the people in Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the River Jordan. Commentators differ over whether baptism was by sprinkling, washing or full immersion. We're not told. We can only say that the use of water in some form to signify what was essential, namely the repentance on the part of the sinner and the belief in the one coming, because of course they didn't know his name at that point, the Messiah who could forgive them their sins. Once those two elements were there, that baptism was effective to ensure their forgiveness. And John, of course, required sincere repentance, refusing to baptise those whom he discerned were pretending. So preaching the gospel came first, and those who responded, whose heart was touched by the Holy Spirit to repent and believe in the one who can forgive, are baptised. Verse 6 describes John, who must have made a formidable impression, clothed as he was in a garment of camel's hair, a cheap and coarse material with a simple leather belt uh, round the waist. He ate locusts and wild honey, an austere life, even at that time, in contrast to many who would have been drawn to him from the cities and villages of Judea and who would have had to have spent some time in the wilderness in order to get to him. Now in the wilderness, in the desert, if you've ever been there, but um, you know, one's thoughts can naturally turn to higher things, especially I think at night. We've been in the desert in, in Morocco and it, it, it's marvellous to, to see all the thousands of stars and to actually hear the silence, to feel it. So his visitors would perhaps have been more receptive to his message than if he'd come to a street corner in Jerusalem and preached to them, especially dressed as he was. Either way, he fulfilled the prophecy about him in Isaiah when, as a voice calling in the desert, he, in verse 7, proclaimed the Greek sense of heralding again. He said, after me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. You see, we know from Luke's gospel that many wondered if John was the Messiah. And so he made it quite clear 
that he was not. And to emphasize the point, he says in verse 8, I baptize you with water, but he, the one coming after me, the Messiah, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which is a reference to Pentecost, when following Jesus' death and resurrection, and as his final great gift, he sent his Holy Spirit to be poured out upon all those present. And that this reference to Pentecost is correct can be corroborated by Matthew's more detailed account of John's words where he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And if you remember at Pentecost, tongues of fire came and rested upon the disciples. So only the Messiah could effect that gift, could give the gift of the Spirit. John didn't have the power. It wasn't his task. But that didn't make his baptism with water any less valid. As we see in verse 9, Jesus came from Galilee to be baptized by John. Now, of course, Jesus, being sinless, had no need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, but came anyway, since it was an appropriate way to inaugurate his ministry. Jesus thus endorsed John's baptism and indeed later ordains it as the sacrament of God's forgiveness for the future. Moving quickly on as Mark does, this is like an action film, verse 10, as Jesus was coming up out of the River Jordan, the heavens opened and we have that lovely image of the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove and thus in his human nature anointing him for his mission to save the world upon which he had voluntarily embarked so that verse 11 his father in heaven could declare you are my son whom I love with you I am well pleased the word for love there is agape the highest type of love which has full understanding accompanied by a corresponding purpose in this unique case Jesus is worthy of the father's love in all other cases of course we creatures of God are not but by his grace we receive it anyway and finally God confirms that he is well pleased with his son the actual tense is past I was well pleased meaning I think in choosing him for the great redemptive mission which the son freely accepted a wonderful picture then of the trinity the father speaking from heaven the son standing on the riverbank ready to begin his work and the spirit 
as a dove descending from heaven to give him the anointing, the power to see it through. And it's in the name of the Trinity, isn't it, that we baptize candidates today. We baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So there we are, baptism for all believers, the beginning of a new and exciting chapter of our lives. In Israel, where the River Jordan begins to flow out from the Sea of Galilee, um, when there is sufficient water, as there was last year when we were there, there is a deep pool um, where various uh, Christian uh, congregations gather to baptize candidates by full immersion. And the candidates wear a white robe over their swimming costumes. And there's something symbolic and quite moving in the process, the laying aside of old clothes and putting on a pure white robe, a kind of uniform, but not a a military or threatening one to instill fear, but rather one that shows a humble acceptance of grace and love an agape love that searches the heart and drives away evil, replacing it with a brand new way of thinking and acting. May I suggest that the only way the world is ever going to successfully embark on the new start people are talking about the great reset as it's being called after COVID-19 is to begin with themselves. We can only do so however in response to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to truthfully look back on our lives, recognize where we've missed that mark, where we fail to keep that that perfect standard and repent and believe in the one who can forgive us. Only then can we move on free of guilt and the fear of punishment to the exciting future that awaits. After I became a Christian at Mission Jersey in 1989, I was introduced to uh, this church. I checked with mum that I'd never been Baptized. So actually on my 40th birthday, on the 11th of February 1990, Ray Speck here baptised me, thus officially beginning my Christian life, a, a, a real fresh start for me. On baptism, you may not receive all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's too much to take actually, but you do receive the Spirit and perhaps... It's like a vaccine which works gradually in our lives to produce antidotes to evil and strengthen our resolve to follow Jesus, which is by no means an easy road. But just as John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, I can see how Jesus has made straight paths for me. 
but the still, small voice in my ear saying, this is the way, walk in it. Oh, to be sure, I've got it wrong and often wandered off, but Jesus is always there to save me from the trouble I've got us into. And for me, uh, especially since I had a pacemaker fitted a few years ago, I've given thanks to God every day. Actually, every morning I wake up and I draw the curtains. It's like a ritual for me. I give thanks for life itself, for the day. So in a very personal way, I seek God's mercies every morning, a fresh start every day. When I was at work, of course, I was conscious of the need to put on the armour of God, (laughs) aware that I was beginning another day of battle. But occasionally, I'd sense that there was a blessing in store, sometimes at the end of a hard climb, literally in the case of my climbing, my conquest of Monte Crocione in Italy. Let me show you a couple of photos there. There we are. I think we can, uh, we're going to have a close-up of that one. There's me. I mean, it's only a mile high. It's only 1,600 metres, but for me it was Everest. And here's another one, Barry. There it is. That's why it's called Monte Crocione. There's a a 30-foot aluminium cross on the top of it. It's fantastic. You can see it from all over central Lake Como. It's wonderful. Uh, A mountaintop moment uh, for me. A rare experience, it has to be said, but one whose warmth and joy sustained me for the years afterwards as I continue to grapple with life's struggles. So what about you? Do you feel the need for a fresh start? Or is everything tickety-boo? Do you want to start afresh? I have another photo to show you, which is from my mantelpiece. If you can... There it is. It's it's this one, uh, sorry, this one here. That's it. There's a a photo of my wife, Christine, with our daughter, Julia, aged three months on her christening day. As those uh, young eyes look out, look forward, what would life hold in store? We didn't know, of course. We can only look back and give thanks, recognizing that God held every one of those days in his hands in loving trust for her and will see her through all her days to come. And I pray that he will do the same for you and for us all. And let me close with a quote from the book uh, God Calling, which some of you may be familiar with. It's a series of revelations to two English ladies who wanted to remain anonymous. 
in the 1930s um, who were clearly uh, Christians and seem to have been inspired by the Holy Spirit. They felt Jesus saying this to them on the first day of the new year. I stand between the years. The light of my presence is flung across the year to come. Backward over the past year is my shadow thrown, hiding trouble and sorrow and disappointment. Dwell not on the past, only the present. Bury every fear of the future, of poverty for those dear to you, of suffering, of loss. Bury all thought of unkindness and bitterness, all your dislikes, your resentments, your sense of failure, your disappointment in others and in yourselves, your gloom, your despondency. And let us leave them all buried and go forward to a new and risen life. Amen.